It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Ordinary Americans doing extraordinary things. People who break their necks every day for their families and the country they love. A country that, in fact, uh, which on the day I was elected was in extreme distress with the virus on a deadly rampage that has now killed over 4,000, excuse me, 500, I can carry it in my pocket every day. I have the list of exactly how many have died. 547,296 Americans dead from the virus. More than all the people killed in World War I, World War II, the Vietnam War, 9-11. 547,296 Americans. And an economy that left millions out of work and created so much anxiety. Well, doesn't that stir confidence in you to hear your commander-in-chief uh, say he has, he's got it on his card in his pocket? And, of course, what he's saying is a complete distortion, and I'm going to tell you why. Uh, the coronavirus has been announced, pronounced, da-da-da-da-da-da, by the CDC in a report as the third leading cause of death in 2020. So it goes into great detail about that. Uh, third leading cause behind um, heart disease and cancer. Well, but down further in the report, they tell you that the CDC says that only 5% of the death certificates list only COVID as the sole cause of death. Well, the, other, the others, what are they? oh, it's others like pneumonia and um, diabetes and some other diseases like that. Those are the causes of death, but the person has COVID. So only 5% of that big number that Joe Biden has in his pocket uh, actually died of COVID. You know, that's less than what they said, what, five months ago when I started telling you they use that 6% figure all the time. Now it's now it's 5%. It's in the same... That, uh, now, see, let's see. Can this both be true? COVID is the third leading cause of death, and yet only 5% of the deaths that they're, they're attributing to COVID were from just COVID? I don't think so. They're playing with us. Of course they are playing with us. Uh, but but don't worry, um, the CDC has issued Easter guidelines. Easter's coming up so quickly here, and uh, at, you know, and um, the Lords of Washington have decided to tell you uh, how you can celebrate Easter. Uh, they have coronavirus guidance ahead of Easter Sunday, uh, and let's see. Let me read specifically: celebrating virtually or with the people you live with is the safest choice this winter. If you do gather with people who don't live with you, gatherings and activities held outdoors are safer than indoor gathering, per the CDC. So, 
those of you in Chicago, my hometown, or Washington, D.C., my other uh, hometown, you know, leave your windows open. I know it's really cold, but you'll be safe. You might die of pneumonia, uh, which will probably be attributed to COVID, but you'll be safer if you leave those windows open because COVID is the only disease in the world that kills people, right? It is the number three cause of death in the United States, and you should be afraid, and now it's worse, and Joe Biden is telling us uh, you need to put on go governors, you need to reinforce that masking mandate and all the shutdowns and all of that, businesses, you need to clamp down on people. So, oh, but, but back to Easter, here's, um, have conversations ahead of time to understand expectations for celebrating together. Bring your own food, drinks, plates, cups, and utensils. Wear a mask indoors and outdoors. Avoid shouting or singing. There's a, and it goes on. There's more. There's more to it. But that's that's the you know that's the rules. That's the the new Pharisees of the land who think of rules for everything. And this is just the beginning. Are going to think of all kinds of rules, and you just have to decide if uh, when those rules cross the line from obeying God rather than man, like maybe singing on Easter. Uh, you'll have to think about that. Well, uh, this is Easter week, and I I want to go back to this is also news. Because putting this in context, this is the week that Jesus, this is the day before, and I'm just talking, obviously, we don't know the real date. Don't, for those of you who are going to write and say, we don't know the date, don't do that. I'm just speaking sort of metaphorically and just give an idea. Last Friday was the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem triumphantly on that donkey with the people shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. He just raised Lazarus from the dead. He goes into the temple, drives out the money changers, the liars, the cheaters from the temple. He's furious with them. And they, in turn, are furious with him and changes his status in Jerusalem. They already wanted him to dead, but that to be dead, but that was kind of the last straw. And so this is the week uh, leading up to his crucifixion, which on my time, my simplified timeline would be tomorrow, tomorrow afternoon at three o'clock. So uh, this would be the night when Jesus had instructed his disciples to find those, uh, to to find a room, an upper room, uh, and he, they did somehow. And there are, if you go to Israel, there is a room where they say this could have been it. Who knows? I, I I'm not crazy about the this might have been it things, but. <laughs> But they have one. So they go to the upper room and they celebrate what was really the last official Passover because Jesus became the lamb. Uh, they, the celebration of the Passover, the Jews didn't know it at the time. They couldn't possibly comprehend. But it was a foreshadowing of that once and for all lamb that was sacrificed uh, because they would at Passover sacrifice this lamb to commemorate uh, the lamb that, God directed them to uh, kill the night before the death angel passed over uh, the, uh, the the in Egypt the pharaohs the Egyptians uh, to try to let the pe- to make uh, Pharaoh let the people go and the the blood of the lamb on their doorpost caused the death angel to pass over so for generations they had celebrated Passover by killing a perfect spotted lamb perfect an unspotted lamb and. Uh, shedding its blood, and that was a a celebration, a commemoration, they thought. But it was also a foretelling, which is what they didn't realize. It was a shadow of the real thing, and the real thing was a human being. It was God's only son who became the spotless lamb 
the perfect human being, who would be sacrificed on the altar to save all of mankind. And so um, that's that's what happened. And so this is the week leading up to that. The disciples in the upper room are partaking in that last Passover supper, the last official one, before the real lamb was revealed. And that's where Jesus you know, explains to them that the, the wine represents his uh, blood and uh, the, the, the bread represented his body shed for you for the remission of sins. They didn't understand what he was talking about. They didn't understand it. And only in retrospect, and I'm sure there's a lot of things we still don't understand in prophecy that are yet to come. Uh, but tomorrow is the day. Today is the day. Tonight would be the night that Peter denied Jesus. Remember, he said, not me. Is it me, Lord? I wouldn't do that. I'll never do that. I will never do that. And Jesus says to him, Peter, before the cock crows tomorrow morning, you know, cock-a-doodle-doo. In the morning, that's what they do. That's the alarm clock for many people in many cultures. Uh, before the cock crows three times, you will have denied me tomorrow morning. And Peter said, there's no way I would do that. But, of course, he did. And that would be tomorrow. And uh, tomorrow would be the day when Jesus carries his cross through Jerusalem on his shoulders. And tomorrow at 3 o'clock would be the time at which he would be crucified. We have a very special show for you tomorrow on Good Friday. I don't, I just feel like there is not enough. Uh, we must look. God doesn't need us. <laughs> he doesn't really need us. If we don't praise him, the rocks will cry out. That's pretty clear in Scripture. But it is our privilege and our joy, while we still can, to tell people about what Good Friday means and about the good news that there was a lamb who took away the sins of the world. Remember, um, was it John the Baptist who said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that's who he was. And Jesus knew what he was going to do. This is the night he agonized in, uh, the, um, in Gethsemane. Lord, please, if it, God, Father, if it's possible, pass, don't, don't make me do this. This is don't please, if it's possible, don't make me do this. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And so he willingly laid down his life. That's the most incredible story in the entire world. And that's the biggest news story I can tell you today. I could just close up shop right now and tell you that there is a Savior. And no matter how crazy things are getting in the world, and they are getting crazy, and they're going to get very dangerous. I was thinking, I shared a little bit yesterday with you about the prophecy that God was trying to tell his Jesus was trying to tell his disciples what was going to happen at the end of the age, and he talked about that you will be handed over and persecuted. And um, he talks about the timeline. He talks about um, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds in the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer's near. Even so, when you see all these things, in other words, the things I've just told you, you know that it is near right at the door. And so... Um, that's what one of the last things that Jesus, that wasn't the only, it was one of the close, the last week, it was one of his uh, great services to his disciples to tell them about what was going to be happening at the end. And uh, he said the tribulation will be shortened to 
uh, protect the elect and the elect are those that have been chosen by God, those who have chosen God also uh, to serve him. And so that's what's happening this particular week, which has such impact on what's happening now. I uh, Last night, Tucker Carlson did a, um, actually a long piece on how Canada is, we've talked about this before, but he revisited this because it's still happening and it's only getting worse. Uh, they are actually apprehending, maybe that's the wrong word. They are, let's see, if you don't have a proper COVID test, if you don't pass a COVID test, if you don't have one that comports to their standards or isn't the label that they want, you are taken away and put in a hotel, that would be a nice way of putting it, where you're not, uh, some people report they've not been fed for over 24 hours. It's a horrendous experience, and they just can't get out. And uh, Tucker was reflecting on what Justin Trudeau, who's the, you know, the, uh, the prime minister of Canada, uh, had said, which is actually kind of creepy in retrospect, when COVID first started. And I want to replay that for you to just give you an idea what we're up against here. This is Justin Trudeau, uh, a prime minister of Canada, clip two. This pandemic has provided an opportunity for a reset. This is our chance to accelerate our pre-pandemic efforts to reimagine economic systems that actually address global challenges like extreme poverty, inequality, and climate change. Did you catch that? This is an opportunity for a reset. It's never been about really protecting people from COVID, all of these measures. It has been about a complete reset of Western civilization. I want you to listen to it again. Just if you don't believe me, listen to what he says again. Let's listen. This pandemic has provided an opportunity for a reset. This is our chance to accelerate our pre-pandemic efforts to reimagine economic systems that actually address global challenges like extreme poverty, inequality, and climate change. All right, so this will accelerate our pre-pandemic plans. This has been in the works. John Kerry said basically the same thing in a different venue. Uh, They have plans. Uh, They're laying them out. And when we come back, I want to share with you a a really stunning article that uh, came my way just this week. It's from The American Thinker, and it has to do with uh, the tactics of the left in the West and how it compares to Nazi Germany. I know we've talked about this before, but this spells it out really very startlingly, and I want you to hear it. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm a new creation in Christ. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International, engaging the world with God's Word for more than 80 years. I'm a new creation in Christ. Those were the words uh, that came from the mouth and the heart of Mabel, the former village witch doctor uh, that I gave a Bible to when I visited Tanzania, Africa. You see, she had lived 65 years in spiritual darkness, didn't know Jesus, uh, had misled people through witchcraft, but now she had left all of that to follow Jesus, and she had her very own Swahili Bible. Right now, we're focused on Africa. The reason is, is because this is where Christianity is growing in the greatest numbers around the world. And yet, would you know it in places like Kenya and Tanzania, as many as nine of 10 Christians have no Bible. And so you could send one today for only $5. A gift of $100 would send 20 Bibles. Pray about it. And then call 800-YES-WORD. 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D. That's 800-YES-WORD. Or give at sendbiblesnow.org. This is Pause to Pray. 
a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Sean Benj, Deputy Director of Operations for the National Park Service. His office manages all national parks and national monuments in this country. John 1.3 reminds us that everything on earth is God's creation. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Sean Benj as he helps manage our national parks. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is the service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. Virginia teachers, take the lead in education with up to 64% off your graduate degree at Liberty University. This year has forced you to innovate, adapt, overcome, and you've not only risen to the challenge, you've crushed it. Now help education emerge from this crisis stronger than ever with your MAT or MED degree. Our transfer-friendly degree programs are 100% online and start as low as $282 per credit hour. It's our thanks for all you do for our future. To learn more, text TEACHER to 49595. That's TEACHER to 49595. Deidre Harrison was at Holy Trinity Church the other day for service. She had a one-year-old in tow, a newborn on the way. During communion, she felt a tug on her arm, and she looked up. She was shocked to see a Dallas police officer in uniform ordering her to get out of the church. Mrs. Harrison was stunned. She quietly got up, moved to the back of the church. That's when someone started filming the incident. The police officers told her she had violated church policy by not wearing a face mask. She was told if she did not leave, she would be arrested, charged with trespassing. No mask, no worship. Now, had a preacher tried to pull a stunt like that in a Baptist church, I can assure you the deacons would have had a come-to-Jesus moment. Maybe Mrs. Harrison should consider visiting a Baptist church. You can read more about this story, watch the video, and download my free podcast at toddsterns.com. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. They're looking into something that the private sector asked for, and conservatives, rather than saying, hey, the private sector's looking at this, they decide to jump on it as a way to attack Joe Biden because they have no way to attack Joe Biden because right, Americans are happy right with him. They go, hold on a minute, right. Mercedes. They go on, they look at this as a way to attack Joe Biden, and in the process of doing it, they are discouraging Americans from getting vaccinated, and it is irresponsible, and it should stop right now, no matter who's doing it. That was Chris Hahn, a Democratic operative, and uh, that was Mercedes Schlapp. Schlapp. Mercedes Schlapp uh, responding to him. He actually got really nasty in that interaction. Uh, but the point of me playing that is that he was reflecting what we heard Joe Scarborough say yesterday. Uh, you didn't hear much of what he said, but it's uh, this category of people who are refusing and criticizing COVID passports. They're not taking the vaccination. Uh, they're refusing to wear masks. These are wicked people. These are horrible, wicked people. Joe Scarborough said that Christians are causing the deaths of their neighbors, their friends. So 
what's going on with this? Doesn't that sound a little strange to your ears, a little maybe over the top if we were in normal times? Well, I want to talk to you about what I think is going on here. And I want to lift an article. This is from The American Thinker. It's written by Steve McCann. I don't know Steve. Uh, I wish I did. Maybe we'll have to have him on. But I I want to read quite a bit of this to you, okay? So uh, the uh, title is The Commonalities Between the Rise of the Nazis and the Tactics of the American Left Cannot Be Ignored. He talked about, um, he recently wrote a column where I accused the American left and its wholly owned subsidiary, the Democratic Party, of using fascist or Nazi tactics in their determination to permanently transform the nation into a one-party hybrid socialist state by exploiting non-existent systematic racism and baseless fears of white supremacy. His characterization did not go so well with gullible and self-righteous Democrat voters, and I know are those who contacted me. They rather vociferously claimed that the utilization of Nazi tactics only applies to the American right, and that they, the left, are only motivated by caring for the people. All right, so then uh, Steve starts his comparisons, and they're not obscure. Okay, they're just not obscure, so let me just present them. First, what the Nazis used was racial division. It was a central component of Nazi political strategy and philosophy. Uh, The Nazi party was, without doubt, the most racially obsessed political party in human history. Their obsession with race focused on their perverted belief in the inferiority and superiority of the races. This opened the door for blaming various racial groups for all the problems facing the country. And, of course, I'm not going to explain in detail because... I'm going to leave out some of the details because you know they're talking about the Jews, but it wasn't just the Jews. It wasn't just the Jews, but they focused on the Jews uh, And when it came to race. Uh, in fact, let me explain this. Identity politics was not invented by the modern American left. It was, in fact, a weapon in the arsenal of the Nazi party. As the Nazis, using the national media they controlled, sliced and diced the populace into specific identity groups, and then promulgated grievance-riddled policies aimed at these manufactured factions in order to foment anger at a specific identity group previously isolated by the party, the Jews. And so um, it wasn't just the Jews, though. I have to say uh, they did this with uh, disabled people. They did videos where they would uh, single them out and make them like they were called useless eaters, Others fell into that, that category as well. Useless eaters, and so they were able to uh, arrest and, uh, well, or take in, collect them, shall we say, and exterminate them. Uh, they they collected different kinds of, types of groups, not just according to race. But uh, he's Steve is sort of zeroing in on the race thing as well. He should because we know that the uh, the Democrats and the left are using racism and white nationalism and critical race theory and all of this uh, to create groups that are hated. All right, so moving on here, the, the second the, was the Nazi party was fixated on censorship and eliminating any cultural institution, publication, or, or speech that did not fully support them. It was their version of today's cancel culture. The Nazis were notorious for book-burning rituals in order to intimidate and send the message that they would shut down anyone and anything that did not align with their ideology. And once in control of the national levers of power, they did so with impunity. 
And so, um, and then he goes on to say, well, the American, do I need to explain the negative, the American left is doing the same thing. It's figuratively burning books, Amazon's removing them. And then of course, all the information on Facebook is being removed and on Twitter. It's so it's the, it's the equivalent of burning. And then the third thing, the Nazis perfected the art of indoctrinating the citizenry through propaganda and quote, fake news. Joseph Goebbels, a Nazi minister of propaganda is credited with saying, if you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. And he went on to say, think of the press as a great keyboard on which government can play. That was the minister of propaganda, Joseph Goebbels, for the Nazis. If you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. Think of the press as a great keyboard upon which the government can play. So in his article, then, Steve goes on to talk about the Russian collusion hoax, the so-called armed insurrection of January the 6th, a climate change as an existential threat to mankind, uh, the suppression of voting rights, that Georgia law they're telling us, is a suppre- they're, you know, they're lying through their teeth. The Washington Post actually gave uh, Joe Biden the most amount of Pinocchios. That's, that's an insult uh, because he's lying about what happened in Georgia and their voter voting, um, they cleaned up their voting rules so that they wouldn't have the same problem again. But they're calling it a suppression of voting rights. It's racist, you see. And, so, uh, and then white supremacy running rampant, that is a big lie. Uh, the necessity of lockdowns for the COVID pandemic, that's a lie too. Uh, and so that they're doing the same thing that Goebbels did with his propaganda. And remember, he said, think of the press as a great keyboard on which government can play. And the fourth thing is the Nazis preyed on class envy. Now, that's the, the uh, communists did that too, but there are similarities True to socialist identity, they preyed on class envy to stoke tensions and resentment as they blamed the Juncker class, which was the equivalent of today's 1%, for the nation's economic woes. In other words, the rich, they blamed them for the economic woes. And those rich often happen to be Jewish, too, by, by the way. But um, the American left and the Democratic Party hierarchy, true to socialist ideology, has long blamed the evil 1% or greedy billionaires for income and economic inequality in order to foment class envy and resentment. But now here's the second part of this that's even really something to really, really ponder. He says, but the similarity does not end there. In an extraordinary juxtaposition, the Nazis were able to vilify the wealthy and the industrialists while the subjects of their vitriol voluntarily financed the Nazi party and its political campaigns. Now think about that. They were vilifying the wealthy and the industrialist, and Steve says, but those wealthy and industrialists voluntarily financed the Nazi party and its political campaign. Hitler assured the German corporate titans that despite their rhetoric, the Nazis would leave them alone and award them lucrative contracts if they supported the party through massive financial support and favorable newspaper coverage. Greed overcame good sense, and they did so. These gullible cowards were ultimately responsible for unleashing the Nazis on an unsuspecting planet. And without me even reading Steve's word, do I need to explain what's happening now? 
We've talked about corporate America, the, the woke culture of corporate America, and how they're pouring money. Rem- remember how they could not give enough money to Black Lives Matter. They fell over themselves to support this communist organization uh, that wants to destroy the family. The corporate America, the, the things that you buy, the products that you've never uh, associated a political or you know a race thought to. They're just Coke or it's just Pepsi or it's just whatever it is. But no, they're all in, and they are supporting of the left with their multi-millions and billions of dollars. There's no question about that. And fifth, in the 1920s and early 30s, the Nazi party routinely relied on street riots, property damage, and gratuitous violence, utilizing their militant cadre, the Sturmabteilung, I didn't know I didn't, I butchered that, but it's Sturmabteilung, to project power through intimidation while blaming that's the stormtroopers, by the way, blaming the communists for the violence. Now, that seems strange to you, I know, but there was a great rivalry between the Nazis and the communists, and we'll get, I've explained it a little bit, but basically, I think it was a, a fight over control. The communists had gained tremendous control in Russia uh, after the Russian Revolution, and they were becoming pow- more powerful, and they wanted to take over Germany, and uh, Hitler wasn't having it. So I think that was the source of that conflict, because they actually had a lot in common when it came to, you know, intimidating and killing people. They both liked that. So uh, so he, was, he would always blame the communists for violence. And every time a riot was met with little or no response from the established authorities, the more emboldened the Nazis became. While the Nazis ostensibly came to power through the ballot box, their ability to terrorize the citizenry and national political leadership played a major role as they promised peace on the streets if elected or given leadership positions in government. And then last, because, and this is very important, and we are going to talk a great deal about this. I've, I've been saving uh, about lots of articles and information about January 6th, but uh, this is the sixth point. In January of 1933, Hitler uh, was appointed Chancellor of Germany, finally won. He tried and tried and tried. He, was, he ended, started out being a very small faction, the Nazis and his party, and they eventually took over after trying so hard so often. Within four weeks, a mysterious fire broke out in the Reichstag, which was the Congress in Berlin. That was the building. It was a beautiful building, which the Nazis blamed on communist agitators, and that this was the opening salvo in a violent coup. Using this pretext, the Nazis were able to force through the Reichstag the Enabling Act of 1933 in March of the same year. This law embedded the Nazis as the sole dominant political party, and ensured that only the Nazis could win future elections, if any were held. They were the first modern proponents of never letting a crisis, real or manufactured, go to waste. And then he goes on to describe what you can just logically figure out on your own, and that's exactly what the left and the Democratic Party is doing on January 6th. Many of us feel that that, that parts of that were absolutely or- orchestrated. And we're not talking about the rally to support President Trump, but what happened afterwards. I've talked about it a great deal. I talked about how people were there, uh, sort of agitators, moving people along, how the people were crammed and couldn't even turn around because of the massive people entering uh, toward the Capitol. It was just, um, I'm not saying no one had a bad intent, but there were people pulling the strings to make it something that it actually wasn't. They didn't even find weapons. Nobody had a gun except for the Capitol Police. Uh, so it's, but, but the capital, um, the, the thing was a insurrection, remember, don't you know, that's what they're calling it. 
And of course, it was, you know, white uh, nationalists, they're telling us, that were responsible for that, and probably a lot of Christian nationalists as well. So you see how this is shaping up. It goes on to say, this list of parallels between the Nazi party and the American left cannot be ignored. These wannabe autocrats, in a de facto admission, try to obfuscate their adoption of Nazi tactics by shamelessly claiming that it is the American right or conservatives that have embraced the Nazis. Yet the right has not utilized or espoused any Nazi tactics in their quest for political office. Uh, This is a great article. We'll put it on our Facebook page because I think you're going to want to read it and share it with others. It's, uh, again, by Steve McCann in The American Thinker. All right, so that's uh, then I want to I want to bring you back to another story because I I'm going to change the subject just for a second, then I'm going to go back uh, because I want to talk to you about what's happening in America's military. Oh my goodness, I, this this upsets me so much I can't tell you, and it will upset you too. You know something about it, but probably not details. But I want to talk about transgenderism just for a second. Uh, CNN just um, printed a news piece in which they, this is news now, not speculation, not opinion, it's a news piece. And basically the writer said, um, it's not possible to know a person's gender identity at birth, and there is no consensus criteria for assigning sex at birth. That is a news story, not an opinion piece, by Devin Cole in CNN. He also says that a biological sex is a disputed term that refers to the sex as listed on students' original birth certificates. So uh, we're now, we've moved into the realm of, you know, let's see, the lie, the big lie that we tell often enough, people will believe it, that people, men can be women and women can be men. Well, that's a big lie. And so, uh, but your commander-in-chief, is all over it. They are displaying a transgender flag at the White House to celebrate Day of Visibility. The White House Director of Political Strategy and Outreach Uh, announced Biden would display pastel pink and blue transgender flag at the White House. And um, he, Biden, released a statement on Wednesday to celebrate Transgender Day of Visibility. And I could read more about that uh, proclamation, but I need to move to this last story. The Pentagon is reversing the Trump ban on transgenders serving in the military. And they're going to, they, they announced it yesterday, according to what I saw. I didn't see a headline on it, but that's what they did. So transgenders, um, under Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, who is uh, uh, ch- championing this and just heralding how wonderful this is, transgender persons can enter the military, have their sex change paid for, take time off while they're recuperating all the multiple surgeries. It's a new day and a new military, and that's what I want to talk about next. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Have you been looking for a way to serve others? Are you able to serve in a ministry without being paid? You and Friendships might be the perfect match. Friendships is currently taking applications for volunteers providing aid to disaster victims, refugees, and the impoverished, both here at home and around the world. Get more information at friendships.org or by calling 337-433-5022. Hello, I'm Gary Roby, host of Call to Worship, heard each Sunday on American Family Radio. This one-hour program will lead you in a special time of worship and praise. We will focus on God's Word, spoken, and in music. Call to Worship has a different topic each week as we glorify God together. 
Be sure to join us at 5 a.m. Central each Sunday for a call to worship right here on American Family Radio. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Jack Phillips, owner of the Masterpiece Cake Shop in Lakewood, Colorado, is back in court again. After earning unwanted fame after an unelected gaggle of authoritarians at the Colorado Civil Rights Commission embarked on a six-year bigoted crusade to wreck his business after he refused to design a specialty cake for a same-sex wedding in 2012. Now, a transgender activist has admitted targeting Phillips by requesting a cake celebrating transgenderism. Jack declined, and that activist filed a lawsuit against him. But they've picked on the wrong guy. Jack will not back down because he says the fight is worth it. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Brian Fisher here with the Life and Liberty Minute. 1 Kings 1 tells the story of Adonijah trying to steal the throne from Solomon, King David's choice to succeed him. Rather than wait his turn, wait for God to elevate him in his own time, Adonijah put himself forward and tried to lift himself up and place himself on the throne. His plans were exposed and frustrated, and he spent the rest of his life under house arrest. The lesson here is that we must reject any temptation to angle or maneuver for position or to exalt ourselves. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, and he lifts them up in due time. God knows the plans he has for us, and nothing can stop him from fulfilling his will for our lives. Let's humble ourselves under God's mighty hand and believe that he will lift us up at the proper time, the time of his choosing, just as he did for Solomon. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio. This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. President Biden just doubled down on the wrecking operation he is conducting against the U.S. military. The cumulative effect of his administration's sustained assault on our armed forces is as predictable as was his dismantling of our border security policy and programs. It will needlessly endanger this country and the American people. Under Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, the Pentagon has reinstituted critical race theory trainings that vilify all white servicemen and women as racists. Troops suspected of alignment with President Trump, conservative values, or other so-called extremism are being subjected to investigations and purges. And yesterday, transgender individuals were cleared to serve in uniform and have taxpayers fund their expensive sex change operations. Readiness is being eroded, as is morale. Our enemies will be emboldened as our best warriors stop volunteering to serve in a hollowed-out, politicized, and disastrously-led military. This is Frank Afney. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. All right. Well, just to be clear, I did not talk to Frank about what I'm talking about this morning. (laughs) Frank's such a good friend, but we often uh, think alike and are looking at the same things. And so uh, it's a perfect setup for what I'm going to talk about. Before I get into it, though... Uh, we are doing our share I think it's the week after next. And one of the things that we love to do is get your stories. It's just so wonderful. It's one of my favorite. It's my, well, it might be my favorite part of share when we drop in like a, a minute or maybe a minute and a half of you talking about what AFR talk means to you. 
it's just really cool to hear your voices, hear where you're from. And so uh, if you would like to do that, if, if you really do like AFR Talk and you'd like to share that with people and be part of our share you can call 877-876-8893. 877-876-8893. I hope that's on our Facebook page. Adam, make sure that that is so people have the number. It's a storyline. You're not going to talk to a person. They're going to talk you through. The, the little person, the automated voice, will talk you through how to how to record. And you can erase if you make a mistake. So it's, it's really user-friendly. So I hope that uh, lots of you will do that, and we can use those stories when we do share next week. And one other thing, the Marriage Family Life Conference uh, that's coming up on um, it's coming up on June 24th to 26th. Today is the last day. The very last day to get the early bird discount. And remember, Michael Brown and many, many other fine speakers will be there to talk about the challenges for the family now. And they also have like a dual track for for children, ages 4 through 17, because the family's being attacked at all ends. So you can bring your children and they will be well taught as well. If you would like to go and you'd like that discount, go to marriagefamilylife.net, marriagefamilylife.net. And uh, and uh, make your reservations now. I think that you will be, I know you will, be very happy that you were there. Okay, so a fr- let me start with this. Michael Berry is a longtime friend. I guess, you know, I, sometimes through the years I interview people so often, they do become my friends, and Michael's one of them. Uh, so he testified before Congress just, well, this is dated March 24th, so it's been a week. And so... Um, Michael was in the Marine Corps, and he now is um, with First Liberty as an attorney. And so this is what he said. Um, A slide used in the Department of Defense training manual identifies Catholics and evangelical Christians as religious extremists. And they're listed right along with members of the Ku Klux Klan, Al-Qaeda, and Hamas. Could I just say this is not new? This happened during the Obama administration. AFA was on one of those slides. They warned officer, or they warned trainees in this particular classroom where we saw the screenshots uh, not to give to AFA, not to have anything to do with them. And interestingly enough, this is right after the Fort Hood shooting, I think is when I started, well, it was somewhere in my early years. I used to have all kinds of callers from Fort Hood, but not anymore. They, they uh, said, they quashed that. I used to have... Uh, some of the key people in that Fort Hood shooting who were in the know call in and talk to us, and then they were told they were forbidden from doing that. But anyway, uh, so Michael is uh, testifying before Congress, and he said, First Liberty also obtained a screenshot of an unclassified slide from a U.S. Army training manual. The slide is entitled Religious Extremism, and it purports to identify religious extremists. Now, by the way, the hearing is entitled, It's the House Armed Services Committee, and it was entitled Extremism in the Military. And then Mike goes on to explain what I've said in short. Uh, it's Al-Qaeda, Hamas, and Ku Klux Klan and others that advocate, advocate violence to accomplish their objectives, but also included evangelical Christianity, Catholicism. And uh, as we know, Michael goes on to say that they do not advocate violence. Uh, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin recently ordered a stand-down to identify and root out extremists and the U.S. military. His his order came in the wake of the January 6th breach, and so uh, they uh, he talks in a video, and he says, the stand-down is needed because of extremism and extremist ideology, views, and conduct that runs counter to everything 
we believe in. And so um, that reminds me of a, there's a lot more to that story, but that reminds me of a tweet by Jack Posobiec, um, the national security expert that I often quote. He talked about a Navy uh, officer who got in touch with him and said that they did their extremism training today. And uh, they were talking about, you know, white white nationalist racism. They were talking about Christians. They were talking about, uh, you know, people that have been the mainstream, the bread and butter, the heart uh, and soul of this country. And the sailor raised his hand and said, well, you're not saying anything about Antifa and Black Lives Matter riots and radical Islam. Why aren't you talking about those? And he, they, the instructor barked at him, that's not what this is about. Well, no, certainly it isn't. And so I'm going to give you a graphic illustration. This is a pretty amazing piece. It's written by Rod Dreher. Uh, it's also a week old. You may have seen this. Um, but the title is, is, Is the U.S. Military Being Purged of Rightists? And he talks about an email that came into his inbox from an Army lawyer who was a judge advocate. And uh, so the the guy that wrote it gave Rod permission to post this, and I want to read it to you as much as I can, okay? Now, remember, this is an Army lawyer, the judge advocate, so he has a high position in the military. He's an officer. He has a lot of um, responsibility and authority. And this is what he said. I just read your piece, Wit- Witness Against Wokeness, which reverberated strongly with me, not because I have any experience with Eastern European communism, but because it is happening here and now, and I am on the receiving end. I've already spoken with our mutual friends about this matter and hesitated to bring it to your attention. However, given the tenor of your latest article, I have to warn you, the soft totalitarianism you've been trying to draw attention to is right in your own backyard. The great purge of conservatives from the U.S. military has begun. Once the ranks are sufficiently cleansed, then the overarching work to remake our country can begin in earnest. I am a part-time Army reservist who has drilled for the last four years uh, in Louisiana. A week ago, I received my notice of purge in the form of a general officer memorandum of reprimand, personally signed by Lieutenant General Charles Pede, the judge advocate general of the Army, the guy who advises the Joint Chiefs of Staff and briefs the White House. This is akin to Zeus looking down from Mount Olympus and hurling a thunderbolt from on high to obliterate some unsuspecting peasant plowing in his field. Although I never suspected something of this magnitude, I did have a suspicion that something was up. A month or so ago, I went back to the unit in Louisiana to turn in some gear, and I noticed that everyone was avoiding me. Office doors were literally closing, and whispering was echoing in the halls as I passed. Finally, a friend, an old master sergeant, approached me to subtly let me know a special agent for Army CID had been asking questions about me. I texted my colonel to see if he wanted to go to lunch, and he told me to meet him in the parking lot. Normally, I'd be the one to drive. It's a rank thing. So I got my car and came to pick him up. However, as he was walking up, he immediately barked, No, you're riding with me. So I went ahead and parked my car vehicle and climbed into his. He demanded, did you bring your phone? Sure, sir, I responded, handing it over, thinking he wanted to borrow it. He recoiled from it like it was a snake and told me, turn that off. Cover that with your uh, rear end, I'll put that. The microphone can still work when it's off. At this point, I was starting to feel sick. They've been listening to your phone, you know. He then proceeded to tell me how he's been questioned for half an hour by his general as to how well he knew me. 
what he knew about me. And this was not occurring in 1960s Yugoslavia, but on the bright sunny day in Louisiana on our way to lunch. As you may know, Christian conservatives are now being targeted for elimination from the military, myself included, by painting in broad brush strokes and labeling everyone they disagree with, or more aptly, who disagree with them as extremists, the new powers that be at DOD are moving swiftly to appease their political masters. The pretext for my removal is based on extreme vetting of Facebook accounts of military members in the wake of the January 6th protests and Biden's inauguration, and specifically a post I made on January 6th. And he said it's clear that this censuring is being directed at the highest echelons of the Defense Department. I'm going to skip down a little bit. He says, because of these proceedings, I have a suspension of favorable personnel action placed upon me so that I cannot be promoted, transferred, or even receive an award. This is more like being nibbled to death by ducks. It is how they kill you softly and avoid the due process rights which a court-martial would trigger. I wish more Americans really knew what was happening. The military I came up, up in was overtly apolitical. That military is gone. Still, my fellow service members and I deserve better than to be constantly jerked around in the never-ending social engineering experiments of the radical left and drummed out when we don't toe the party line. However, the writing is on the wall. God-fearing men and women in the armed forces are about to suffer. I fear it is only a precursor of what is to come for society in general. I served in Iraq and Afghanistan, and my family has fought in every war this country ever fought since before there was a United States. But none of that matters anymore in the new America, and he spells it with a K. I feel like the old Roman still manning the frontier as Rome burns behind me. If there is any way you can help my situation or call attention to the plight of thousands of other Christian conservatives who are similarly in the line of fire, it would be deeply appreciated. I pray that the Lord of battles will deliver us. If not, then I pray that I may be counted worthy to suffer for his name. God bless you, and God bless America. <sighs> that just is so upsetting. Uh, it's upsetting to all of us. And uh, you may be wondering what he posted. He posted on, on uh, January 6th a picture of a guy with a Confederate flag, and he is uh, with the portrait of Senator John C. Calhoun, uh, and he wrote, after 155 years, with a portrait of Senator John C. Calhoun looking on, the Confederate flag triumphantly marched into the Capitol today, and 2021 is just getting started. Now, here's the thing. I can't explain that to you except that he says in his, he said that was, uh, he's a military historian, and that was tongue-in-cheek, but I don't know enough about Calhoun or the, the details of that to explain it to you, but I thought you would be wondering, what did, it, did he post? He showed a Confederate flag and a guy holding it in the Capitol, and that's what he wrote. So uh, then he goes, uh, he writes, the, the soldier writes, the post was just a convenient excuse to help the DOD commissars accommodate their political master's mandate to remove conservatives from the ranks. That has always been the experience of those living under both soft and hard totalitarianism. And please listen to this, because this is something I try to say, but I probably haven't been as... Uh, clear as I need it to be. You don't have to do anything really wrong to be in the crosshairs of totalitarians. They look for things. It could be the way your 
button is buttoned. It could be anything. Uh, they Once this thing is unleashed, they turn on people at will. And they may give a reason for it, and that's why you see people, maybe you've seen old movies where people, no, I didn't, take, I didn't mean to take that piece of bread. And you'll have people apologizing for normal behavior because they're being targeted for normal behavior. So he puts it this way, it's eloquent, the soldier. The oppressors can always find a justification. In order to accomplish their aims, they have to have an enemy. And the enemy of these times is, of course, white supremacists. Once they're able to betray you as the enemy, then the next step towards elimination is a much easier one to make. Just ask Bonhoeffer and the Jews. Um, so um, that's, uh, and then Rod Dreyer has a bunch of other things to say about that. But that article is, we'll put that on our Facebook page as well. It's written by Rod Dreyer. Is the U.S. military being purged of rightists? I do wish we had time to open the phone lines. I'd love to talk to you, those of you in the military. Uh, to to see what your experience are experiences are. This is what I've been reading. I've never heard anything spelled out quite so clearly, but it is frightening. So at the same time, they are opening the floodgates to transgenders to join the military. And I let me say, why wouldn't they join the military? Do you have any idea how many surgeries it takes to change your your body into a, a pretend man or woman if you are not that gender? You have to remove things. You have to attach things. You have to do hormone treatment for months. Uh, you have to remove facial hair. You have to remove Adam's apples. You have to uh, reduce the size of certain things. Uh, and in women, you have to do a lot of other things. Uh, it's very costly. And it's not just one surgery. It's surgery after surgery after surgery after surgery. And the military is going to pay for it. You're going to pay for it. So this is the new military. No Christian, no Christians. Catholics, but lots of transgender soldiers who might be. Some of them might be Christians and Catholics, so I need to make that clear. But that's the state of affairs, and that's why that's why Good Friday is so important. We need a Savior, and by the way, we have one. Sandy Rios in the morning. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.